You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists. And for the last nine years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, we had uh, dueling UFC and Bellator events over the weekend, Friday night. Michael Page escaped with a split decision win over Douglas Lima, potentially a controversial one in their rematch over in Bellator. And then on Saturday night, Tiago Santos and Johnny Walker kind of stunk up the joint in the UFC's main event on ESPN+. Obviously, we're going to talk about all that stuff coming up on this week's show. But first, perhaps most importantly of all, you're back in the game, my man. You're writing blogs over at comainevent.com. Tell the kids at home what they can expect if they amble over and check out your new work over at comainevent.com. Well, Chad, I know that some listeners of this here podcast might be too young or might just have discovered this whole MMA game too late to have witnessed Cage Potato in its prime back when it was just making jokes, rolling around in the lulls, occasionally making a decent point, and generally getting everybody mad at them. Mm -hmm. But I'd like to think we're bringing that spirit back. Okay, yeah. The make everybody mad at you again spirit. Well, I mean, when you have a talent for something, you just (laughs) lean into that, I guess. (laughs) To wit, though, we decided to revive the potato index, which... You know, it was an idea that barely made sense when we did it on Cage Potato. Yeah. Because it was, you know, in a way, a little bit of a poke and fun at the post-fight winners and losers columns that basically every MMA media site does, um, but also kind of still doing that same thing in our own special way. But now we're going to repurpose that for the co-main event site, which doesn't even have Potato anywhere in the name, frankly. So we essentially just don't give a fuck and we're doing it anyway. And uh, it seems like people aren't enjoying it. So I, I, I'm glad to see that. We ought to make uh, some Make MMA Mad at Us Again t-shirts. Yeah, everybody's just too motherfucking nice. Everybody's too motherfucking friendly, Chad. Yeah, that's that's definitely the problem. Uh, I, <laughs> I lulled today uh, at the return of the Potato Index. The opening item about Johnny Walker made me laugh out loud. So I feel like it's good to have this kind of stuff back in the marketplace, back in the uh, in the MMA blogosphere, so to speak. And, uh, you know, maybe I'm going to jump on there and write some stuff at some point. I don't know. I don't know. Who knows who might end up making an appearance on comainevent.com. Uh, and our beloved patrons get that shit delivered straight to their inboxes, along with a lot of other goodies that are only available on the Comain Event Patreon page, patreon.com slash comainevent. Join the team. Don't get left out there in the deep waters, as uh, as the big tuna would say. That's absolutely right. Uh, you're listening to the co-main event podcast proper. This show drops every Monday afternoon for free in your timelines or podcast libraries. 
And if you think we're having fun so far, you absolutely need to check out, as Ben Folks just said, what's going on over at patreon.com slash co-main event, because we're over there with three additional podcasts every single week. If you don't get your MMA fix from this show, you can check out the Wednesday live chat, hashtag wild on Wednesday, where we spend a full hour answering questions from the beloved patrons of the co-main event podcast. We got the Friday power hour. It's an additional hour of curated MMA talk, which features the dreaded but amazingly named co-main event podcast, Patreon power hour, power rankings <sighs> rolls off the tongue. Uh, yep. And of course we got the movie club, the Thursday movie club going to, might be going through a transformation as we speak. Maybe something new is going to be happening for the $10 patrons over there on Thursdays. Going to have to wait and find that out. And you know what? Hockey season is about to kick off and we are excited to cheer on the official NHL team of the co-main event podcast, the Seattle Kraken, as they begin their inaugural season. So we're going to be talking plenty of Kraken action over at the Patreon. The other thing that happens, as as you mentioned, every time we publish a blog over on comainevent.com, you get that shit emailed straight to you if you are a patron of the co-main event podcast. And the other thing about it, you can comment. You can roll up in the comments and tell us how full of shit we are, which is something you can't do if you're one of the plebes, one of the non-paying customers, one of the normies over at comainevent.com. Can't comment. The patrons, the beloved patrons, they can comment on the stories. They have a voice. You know, you mentioned the the Kraken getting ready to, to pop off here. Uh, and we may be getting ready to organize a watch party for That's when right. the Kraken pop off. Chad, important update. I bought a shirt. But I didn't do like you and just go to the boring ass NHL official shop. Yeah. Where the product, oh, no. I have to say, has left a little something to be desired now. Now see. Through, through one shirt and one return. I was just looking at my new Kraken shirt the other day. The logo on that one is way off center and super crooked. I I don't even know who they're paying over here at NHL.com to print the shirts, but they're 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 ballparking it a little bit on the uh, on the <laughs> logo placement. They're, they're just kind of eyeballing it and you're like, eh, it looks all right. No one's gonna notice. See, using you as my one man Amazon review section, <laughs> yeah. I decided I don't think I'm gonna go through the official channels. I think I'm just gonna Google Kraken t-shirt and see what happens. Go where the internet winds take me. And they took me some pretty interesting places. I made a purchasing choice. It's supposed to be in the US mails. Hopefully it arrives in time for our watch party because just if it's anything close to what they promised me when I clicked order, spent my 30 bucks or whatever, I'm pretty goddamn excited about okay. it. Okay. Well, now now I'm hyped now that uh now that you've previewed it for me, I can't wait to see it. I might have to make a different purchasing option as well because my Seattle Kraken t-shirt's just not it's just not kicking ass the way I wanted I say it to. Just uh chest paint, you know, you like just old school, just paint it up. Yeah. Yeah. New music alert. This week's music comes to us from longtime listener James, aka the Funk Soul Brother a retired amateur MMA fighter and hip-hop producer who trains at the Korean Zombies Gym in Seoul, South Korea. What? Get the fuck out of here. If you like what you hear from him on the show, you can check out more over at Instagram.com slash FSBeats, except not right now because the Instagrams are down. At a later date, yes. Or you can go over to YouTube.com slash C slash Funk Soul Brother Beats and... Just to carry on the grand tradition of having to spell at least one word (laughs) 
and the names of the musical acts that we feature, we should note that the word soul in Funk Soul Brother is spelled S-E-O-U-L, as in like the, the capital of South Korea. You see what yeah. he did there? The see, Funk I was going to ask. Soul I, I, Brother. I know enough about how this shit works at this point that I the alarm bell started going off when you said that he trained at the Korean Zombies Gym because I was also like, you're telling me Funk Soul Brother is available as like a YouTube, that that, that shit wasn't taken? And then I started to go, wait a minute. Yeah. Everybody always got to spell some shit some funky kind of way when they, they bring their music to the CME podcast. And I'm, I'm glad to see that grand tradition continue. You just got to put a little local spin on it if you yep. want to be the Funk Soul Fr- frankly, Brother. Frankly, this, this might be the best one yet. Enough preamble. Three er, three rounds as usual this week in the co Event Podcast. In round number one, what happens when a couple of dangerous, light, heavyweight, weirdsmobiles kind of cancel each other out? Uh, you get a fight that looks a lot like Tiago Santos versus Johnny Walker, I guess. And in round number two, how good is Michael Venom Page? I still don't know. But maybe five more rounds with Douglas Lima will help us start to figure things out. And in round number three, this is exciting. The debut of a new co-main event podcast segment. How hyped? How will it go? What will happen? How hyped will we get? Only one way to find out. All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Oscar Eagle, who writes, People generally seem to be praising the ref in the Holland versus Dacus fight for making the right decision in making the fight a no contest. I don't agree at all. I think Dan, he means Dan Mergliata, blew it by letting the fight go on, and in so doing, the result that happened after that needed to stand. If, for example, you let an eye poke go later, and later the eye poke victim gets knocked out because he couldn't see the punch, it wouldn't be a no contest. Tough break for Holland, but Dacus won by submission. Uh, now, of course, we're we're referring to, this is the co-main event of this thing, right? The uh, Kevin Holland-Kyle Dacus fight, yes. uh, which ended in the first round after an accidental clash of heads and a bad one, frankly, that appeared to knock Kevin Holland out for a second. He woke up, he gathered his wits, he carried on. But a minute or so later, he did, in fact, end up uh, dropping this fight via what looked like rear naked choke. There was a huddle outside the cage for whatever reason. UFC matchmaker Sean Shelby and UFC employee uh, Mark Ratner were involved in this. And uh, we, you know, we, uh, we we figure this thing out after a few minutes. We come back with this no contest due to accidental clash of heads. Uh, we think Kevin Holland and Kyle Dawkins are going to do it again, brother, at some point. Honestly, this was fucking fascinating. Yeah. If if you are a fight nerd, to see the fleeting glimpse that the ESPN Plus cameras gave us of everybody over there trying to figure out what the fuck was going to happen now until whoever was in charge of the production team appeared to decide, wait a second, maybe the people shouldn't be hearing this. Yeah. And they they cut the mics and we went back to the in-cage camera, et cetera, et cetera. But the view we got of Herb Dean and Dan Mergliata and Sean Shelby and some uh, guys that appeared to be Nevada State Athletic Commissioners and Mark Ratner all sit, sitting there trying to figure out what had happened. Uh, it was kind of fascinating to watch that happen. Yeah. Now, I agree with Oscar Eagle's point that obviously the ideal situation would have been for Big Dan Mergliata to see the clash of heads immediately and get in there. And stop the action because yeah. it and he seemed to see it. 
right? Like, because he, he runs he in like he's going to stop. And then Kevin Holland, like, goes to his back and, like, starts getting guard. And seems like he was, uh, he was probably just trying to gather his wits, but, like, maybe was even flirting with the idea of a triangle or something down there. So Mergliata just kind of let it go. Right. But, uh, and, and it seemed like his reasoning was that he was going to get involved with them when he saw Kevin Holland start fighting back. Then he decided to let it go. And it was like, okay, he's fighting back. But afterwards, he told us like he didn't remember anything between the time that he hit the floor and the time that uh, Kyle Dawkins is on his back choking him. And yeah. so, you know, he's just kind of going on instinct at that point. And it's such a considerable impact from this illegal but you know, not intentional blow where he just he takes it and you could see like nobody home in his eyes. He falls straight to the floor. I think that I, I agree that the thing to do would have been not wait to see if he's still fighting back, but just you see that there's, there's been an illegal blow there. You see that there's been a clash of heads. Stop it there. Like stop it. Take a look at it. Give everybody a chance to recover and let and then let's restart. Like that seems like that would have been the ideal situation. Yeah. I guess the question is, since we didn't do that, did we do the next best thing? Because I saw, uh, I, I don't think it was Aaron Bronstetter maybe making the point that when you look at what the rules say that we're supposed to do here. He he was basically saying that the rules do not allow them to do what they did. And that what they should have done is just declared it a rear naked choke or kept it as a rear naked choke victory for Kyle Dacus and then let Kevin Holland's team appeal and then hopefully it gets overturned on appeal. And he pointed to examples where something like this has been overturned on appeal. But then you're, I mean, I can understand why people push back on that and like, okay, so you want to go jump through a bunch of hoops and hope that the commission gets us to the right place rather than just using the power we have right now and saying, fuck it. We think we're just going to throw up our hands at this one. Yeah. And yet it does seem like, like I think of no contest, probably the right choice here, probably the right outcome given what happened, because clearly the opening to the finish was created by this unintentionally illegal blow. Yeah. And yet if you make everybody show their work on this one, I don't know if they can. Yeah. Because we're doing a whole lot of like gathering around. First of all, I don't know why you even are consulting UFC employees there. That seems like that should be a line that we're not crossing. Especially Sean Shelby. Like you could make the argument Mark Ratner as the executive vice president of regulatory affairs. He probably shouldn't be involved in that conversation either, but he's such a respected and longstanding figure in the uh, state athletic commission yeah, he, game so to speak that like you could even see dan mergliotta at one point was sort of like mr ratner what's what? yeah, a former regulator himself maybe you you appeal to his expertise i guess but yeah i mean even then it, you, the the promotion officials should not be involved in that conversation at yeah. all and especially since i i don't and i don't know this is i don't want to get into conspiracy stuff here but ratner's like sitting cage side wearing a headset he's got a headset on while they're watching the replay of this and i'm sort of like who's he talking to Who's talking to yeah. Ratner right now? I'm sure nobody, but like, it's just a little bit weird to have uh, employees of the UFC involved in this dis discussion. And again, though, like if you ask me practically, I don't think anybody had any ill intent there. I think no. everybody genuinely was just trying to figure out what's the right thing to do here. What's the most fair thing to do? Yeah. And like, what, what should we do here? Like what, what, what's the best and like most just outcome. And so I can see why we just, you know, Herb Dean's whispering in Big Dan's ear and it seems to be saying something along the lines of, if you don't feel great about this one, we could just call it a no contest. And yet I don't know if you are allowed to do that. I don't know if you are allowed to just be like, 
I don't know, guys. We feel like this one's kind of a mess, and so we're just going to say do over. Yeah. Like, it didn't happen. This fight didn't happen. The The win bonuses stay in the UFC's pockets, and no, and this gets treated on your record as if it, like a non-event. Like, I just don't know if the rules allow for you to do it. And I, I also just, it creates this feeling that we're just making it up on the fly. Like, yeah. we're just looking at the situation and being like, I don't know, what does this one feel like we should do here? Yeah. And I agree with you that oftentimes that's that feels weird just in terms of how this sport is officiated and how the rules apply. But in this case, and in in, in not infrequent occurrences, man, MMA is just so fucking wild that like some yeah. shit can happen out of the blue. And occasionally it's kind of handy to have this wiggle room where we can come back. And I, I agree with you. I think eventually get to an appropriate call of what we're going to do about this fight. Now, obviously, as you mentioned, the perfect situation would it be if Dan Mergliata flew in and called a temporary halt to the action immediately when he saw the clash of heads. But again, not to sound like a broken record, I say this a lot on this show, but we ask so much of these officials to be out there basically in the middle of the firefight. And even as it happened live on TV, I'm not sure that I would have totally caught it without the, uh, without the announcers yelling about the clash of heads. So we're asking Dan Mergliata basically in a split second to make a judgment call about the action and a lo- an illegal blow and who can continue and who can't. And I think that the refs above and beyond everything else don't want to screw anything up. Like they don't want to be too heavy handed out there. Like Dan Mergliata doesn't want to stop the fight because then what if you can't restart it? Uh, Obviously you should be able to restart it because what what happened here was an illegal blow. But like, I don't know what the intricacies of the rules are about that. Like the rules are different in how you handle a low blow and an eye poke. So for all I know, a clash of hands is completely something different. And so we want Mergliata should have stopped it. He should have, they should have given Kevin Holland some time to recover. And then they should have been able to come back in and restart the fight. But again, like you're asking for perfect execution from the referee in all instances in mixed martial arts. And when it doesn't happen, we end up having this controversy and this fallout, which I kind of feel bad for those guys about because having talked to several of them on a couple of occasions, these are guys that care deeply about MMA and about the fighters and doing the right thing by them out there in the cage. Now, just considering that this is a fight between Kevin Holland and Kyle Dawkins, and neither one of these guys is about to vault into title contention, like we might as well call it a no contest and bring him back to do it again, because uh, neither of these guys has any other real pressing business. So let's just start it again and we'll go from there. Yeah, why not? Next question this week comes to us from Robert Vila, who writes, uh, who I assume is Bob Vila. Uh, yeah, host naturally. Of- it's got to uh, be Bob Vila. Yeah. Why does the UFC? He, he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to give it away. He's he keeps it formal right. with us yeah. here at the CMB, uh, as he should. Why does the UFC keep John Jones around? He writes the current UFC model does not require stars to sell pay per views. All it seems he has done for a while now is argue with the UFC about pay and tease that he's going to fight at heavyweight. Is he only still around so that he can't be used by another organization? Now, uh, Ben, obviously. The ugly John Jones arrest story has progressed another step or two since the last time we talked on the proper. We had the release of the 911 tape uh, over the weekend, which didn't add a lot of factual stuff to the to the case, but did uh, maybe underscore the seriousness of what was happening. And the the uh, you could hear the the casino security employee talking to the 911 operator about how uh, John Jones's longtime fiance had blood on her shirt and blood on her face. Uh, and describing it in a way 
that kind of reinforced how serious the situation was like, uh, so we, we had that come out. We've had John Jones make a couple of horrendously tone deaf posts, uh, on his own Instagram account, including one, uh, where he is seen like kissing his fiance and like there's type on the screen that says we stay with each other through thick and thin, good and bad and stuff like that, which is like, Man, some real stock abuser shit, frankly, if you want to view it through that lens. And so uh, I guess just to answer Mr. Robert Vila's question here, uh, yeah, like the UFC is keeping John Jones around because he's a, a big star for them. He's a mid-major pay-per-view draw. And even though we are into this new world of uh, automatic licensing fees that make the UFC's pay-per-view model a lot less of a risk for the company than it used to be because they get that money from ESPN anyway. You still want to keep the guys around who sell the pay-per-views because you're still making money that way. And the last thing you would want, frankly, just from a business standpoint, and we know that's the only way the UFC ever views anything is through what what the it means for the bottom line. You don't want John Jones over there winning the Bellator light heavyweight title. Like, that's that's not a good... That's not a good outcome for you if you were the UFC. But again, that kind of thinking leads you to make these sort of decisions. Because if we're just dealing in morality and what's right and wrong and how many mistakes we're going to allow John Jones to kind of make over and over again, I think you might be able to make the case that John Jones should have been on the streets with his UFC pink slip a while back. Well, I think another aspect of the calculation for the UFC is what's the downside to keeping him around? Especially because so far you've been deadlocked with the guy about trying to negotiate a heavyweight fight of some kind, it seems. Now you would think, well, we got him over a barrel a little bit. Like, he would probably like to be able to get in there and fight and give some people some other kind of John Jones news to talk about after this thing. And he's not in a position to keep holding us up for more money because the John Jones brand has getting worse. Uh due to the actions of John Jones. So we're in a better negotiating position. Also, from a practical perspective, it's not like the UFC is taking any meaningful flack for keeping him on the roster. People are going to write columns every once in a while being like, oh, the UFC should cut him. But shit, man, they got Greg fucking Hardy on the the roster. They, they've already proven in the past that those comments Dana White made about how putting your hands on a woman is something you don't come back from... We already know that's bullshit. Yeah. And only, only when it's convenient. Whatever the blowback they were going to take from that is, they've already taken it. It's not a surprise to anyone that they would keep John Jones around now. It's not like they're they're losing fans or losing sponsorships or like it's not hitting them in any meaningful way right. to keep John Jones. So why not? Like he why not keep him away from competitors? Why not keep him in a situation where he might be more amenable to going and, and taking the fight that you want for the money that you want and putting some more dollars on the UFC coffers? There's just no downside to it if you're the UFC because you're not really suffering as a result of keeping him. Next question this week comes to us from Neil in Northern Ireland. He writes, guys, we have an emergency that only the CME consulting group can take care of. Oh, okay. Yeah. Vet first Venmo us our 40 bucks. I don't know what the exchange rate is like. Somebody got to do it. Hold so, on. Let me just see. Uh, okay. Yeah. It went through. Go ahead. Okay. Someone needs to advise Peter Yawn that it really isn't a good idea to take the interim title fight. An interim title fight, one guy coming off a loss, another guy needing the win to set up a highly anticipated rematch with the champion. 
Doesn't this seem like the exact time the MMA gods would look up and think, hmm, that's a nice rivalry you have going there. Be a shame if Jan lost. Other than that, the money for the fi- other than the money for the fight, he's taking a lot of risk for no reward. If he wins, he gets to fight Aljo, something he probably would have done anyway if he just waited. If he then uh, loses, then it's goodbye to that rematch. Seems like he needs your services, guys. I guess for starters, okay. Ben, do you agree with this take? Is it a uh, no. is it a, a no win situation or a bad deal for Peter Yawn to roll up in this light? Or I'm sorry, bantamweight uh, interim title fight against Corey Sandhagen. No. First of all, if you say no to this, if the UFC goes, hey, we think Aljamain might be out a while, we want an interim title fight here, Corey Sandhagen versus you, Peter, what do you say? And you say no. They go, okay, so Corey Sandhagen versus somebody else for the yeah. interim title. Thank Next you. thing you know, Thank Dana you White's up there at the press conference being like, ah, oh, Peter Yan doesn't want to fight. He doesn't, yep. he doesn't want to fight Corey Sandhagen, all this, the other stuff that he always does every time someone, yeah. for and whatever they, reason wants to negotiate or doesn't want to take a specific fight at a specific time. And they move on without you, and maybe the next thing you have to do is just like Peter Yan versus some other contender, no belt of any kind on the line. However, if you fight Corey Sandhagen, which, you know, not an easy fight, not a gimme fight, even for Peter Yan, who's super good. Corey Sandhagen is also a dangerous guy. But also probably if you're Peter Yan, somebody you were thinking, I'm probably going to have to fight sooner or later anyway. And honestly, if I'm going to have to fight Corey Sandhagen, I want to fight him sooner. I don't want to give Corey Sandhagen two more years to get better. I'd like to fight Corey Sandhagen now if I'm going to fight him. Uh, Go ahead, fight him for this interim title. If you win, you think, all right, now when we hype this rematch with Aljamain Sterling, it's champion versus champion, Uh, even if yours is an interim belt. Typically, uh, depending on what exactly his contract says, a lot of times those interim belts will come with the same pay-per-view points, or at least some pay-per-view points. And if that's the case, then there's a big upside to going into that Aljamain Sterling title fight rematch as one of the champions getting pay-per-view points, as opposed to just the challenger who doesn't get any pay-per-view points. It's a big financial difference for you. So there's a lot of reasons why I think it makes sense for him to do it, both to just not draw the UFC's ire and not give them a reason to want to overlook him and and bury him for a little while and move past him, but also just because it's kind of inevitable, still a good fight, and that means you get to stay in this picture while Aljamain falls a little bit into the background. In all ways, I think it makes sense for Peter Yan. Yeah, and just as a uh, in a general sense, if you want fighters to start taking a risk-reward analysis based on whether or not they are going to lose a fight, you're going to be waiting a long time because yeah. they, don't, they don't factor that in. Uh, okay. Next question this week comes to us from deceased actor, poet, and comedian Nipsey Russell, oh, not to okay. be confused with deceased former rapper Nipsey Hussle. Yeah. He writes, short and sweet, if Max Holloway beats Yair Rodriguez, do you think we see the unicorn in a field of four-leaf clovers? Does Max get a third crack at Darth Volkanovsky? I mean, he's beat everyone at featherweight worth mentioning, and his last two attempts were arguably victories. Or am I just talking silly? Thoughts? Uh, I mean, they're going to let Max Holloway fight for the title again if he strings together another win or two, especially against a highly regarded top contender like Yair Rodriguez. Uh it, it will be the third fight against Volkanovski, but like I, with when Holloway is concerned, I'm not even sure it really even matters who the champion is. He's going to be hanging around in that elite contender status until something major changes. And I think if he wins this fight, yeah, he'll be on the short list of guys who could try again, even though it would be, even though he's he's zero and two up to this point, and this would be the third fight. 
Yeah, he's 0-2, but it's not like he got blown out. The last one was closer than the first one. And who else would it be at this point? If you look like you look at the featherweight rankings, like right now, the UFC's rankings, you got Alexander Volkanovsky at the top, and then Max Holloway is number one, Brian Ortega is number two, Yair Rodriguez is three, then the the zombie is four, and Calvin Cutter is, is five. And so it's like he just beat Brian Ortega. If Holloway knocks off Yair Rodriguez, it, you know, the, the zombie got beat by Brian Ortega not that long ago. Like, what else would you do? I just don't see how you have too many other options there that, that make more sense than giving Max Holloway a third fight. Plus, the UFC likes Max Holloway. Fans like Max Holloway. It's not an impossible sell, even if he is 0-2 against Volkanovski. It makes some degree of sense. I I, I do think, it, nat- normally, we would say, you know, you already got two losses to the champion. You're kind of going to have to sit around and wait until somebody else becomes champion, no matter how many fights you win, before they give you another chance. When Max Holloway, I think, gets a slightly different calculation. Uh, let's squeeze this one in here right at the end from our guy Punk Curmudgeon over on Patreon. He writes, I recently started a Twitter break. Tired of the mass stupidity. Now I have a number of people like you guys and Nobby Buchles and Colleen, all dearly beloved listeners and patrons of the Coming Event podcast that I love, but man, there is some massive stupidity. <laughs> okay, he said that twice. Uh, so I've been off since Friday morning, logged out and took the app off my phone. This means I've consumed zero MMA content because all my IRL friends are normal. I did watch the fights, skip to the good parts if I didn't care about the fighters or even skimmed through uh, Bella shit, which is so what he calls Bellator, uh, and watched the full MVP versus Lima. And you know what? I'm oddly way more into MMA without having input from dummies on Twitter about eye pokes. But I thought the, okay, I don't know what he's going on here. Robberies that were really close or, or robberies that were just close fights and blah, blah, blah. So I don't know. It's like I found the fountain of youth for my fandom. And I can't wait to hear your thoughts on MMA because you are not idiots. Cheers. Uh, I think the the pertinent point here, Ben, is is the uh, the rejuvenative quality of, of occasionally taking a break. Yeah. And like disconnecting. And if you, what you got to do is take a social media break. I've taken the Twitter app off my phone a couple times. I have both times come back, which maybe speaks negatively to how my brain has been wired by the social medias at this point. I got to keep uh, hitting the refresh button to light up that particular pleasure center, the uh, the slot machine pleasure center that is also uh, stimulated by Twitter. But man, if you're feeling down on, on the sport, if you're feeling down on the uh, – on the schedule, if you're feeling down on, as Punk Curmudgeon notes here, the mass stupidity, take a break, man. Walk away. Turn it off. Then come back when you're ready. That's the beautiful thing about uh, the MMA world at this point is that, you know what? It's literally always there when you want it. So take as much time as you need, and when you feel better, come back. I guarantee you there will be a UFC event on Saturday you can watch. Yeah, and I also think that there's a lot to be said for just curating your social media feed as best you can. I mean, obviously, some stuff is still going to get through. Some mass stupidity. There's so much of it. Some of it's still going to slip through the net there. But you have the opportunity, to a great extent, to to mute and block your way to a better version of the app. Yeah. And I, I highly recommend doing that. And you know what? I recommend being proactive about it. If somebody and their mass stupidity just gets retweeted into your timeline or something you know you don't have to wait until you have an interaction with that person to be like i don't want to ever hear from them again like plenty of times i see something and i'm just like there's nothing there's nothing this person could have to say in the future that i want to hear i know that just based on this one 
comment. And therefore, I'm going to turn them off so that I never hear them again. And I'll tell you what, every once in a while, I post something, I see people arguing with somebody in my mentions, and I don't, I don't recall there being like a response that seemed argumentation worthy. And so I'll go and I'll click and be like, who are they yelling at? Who is everybody so mad at? And then it says, this tweet is from an account that you muted. And I just go, thank you, Ben folks of the past. You beautiful <laughs> son of a bitch. You did it. Yeah. You did it. Yeah. Uh, you know what is insane is if you like, for whatever reason, are without your phone or your your Twitter app or whatever it is, maybe you just don't look at it for anywhere between eight and 48 hours, frankly. When you come back, you will have no fucking idea what is going on. Yeah. Like the entire world has shifted on its access and moved on without you. Yeah. Especially even in the MMA world, I can show up, you know, 10 hours later, I just haven't looked at my phone. I was doing something and everybody is is going off about something where I'm like, what on earth has happened? And then you got to do the Twitter thing where you reverse engineer your way back into finding out what it is everybody's mad about. And then almost inevitably regret ever learning (laughs) because you would have been better off without that knowledge. You go on a camping trip, you come back, and it's like people are speaking a different language all of a sudden. And damn it, you you really shouldn't bother learning it. And yet you do, and you regret it every time. So if you feel burned out, do like punk curmudgeon do. Take a break, walk away, come back when you're ready. Like I said, there will definitely be a UFC event on Saturday whenever you want one. That's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, comment, concern that you would like to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. Go to comainevent.com, check out the return of Ben Folks's blogs over there, and also click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says, what does it say, Ben? It says email the podcast. It says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. Uh, Right now, though, we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Ben, your main event of this UFC fight night event on Saturday night from the Apex Arena down there in uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. You had Tiago Santos versus Johnny Walker, a fight that I think a lot of people were looking forward to because you had two big explosive light heavyweights who are also complete weirdsmobiles who are capable of doing extreme violence at any moment during a fight. Uh, I believe the UFC broadcast team even said... As this thing began, I don't think we'll need the full 25 minutes here, which, as you know, is basically the kiss of death for in a potentially exciting matchup. It looked to me, man, like Johnny Walker and Tiago Santos kind of canceled each other out in this fight. They were both just being very cautious. They know that the other guy is super dangerous. And so they kind of went about their business accordingly. Next thing you know, we're 25 minutes into this thing, and it seemed like both guys kind of forgot to fight. Uh what was your take on this on this main event? Yeah, I kept waiting, you know, as long as we're going to see intervention from people like Sean Shelby and Mark Ratner. I kept waiting to see Sean Shelby stride up there to the corner of Johnny Walker and be like, this isn't what we hired you for, man. Mm-hmm. We didn't hire you to come out here and be a point fighter and try to win by the slimmest of margins. That's not the Johnny Walker experience yeah. that we were expecting here, man. We hired you to be exactly that weirdsmobile. Then you go over to SBG Ireland and you come out and we're trying to we're remember when I said I was worried about the the mature 
Johnny Walker that we were promised in this fight. Yeah. This is this is the kind of shit you could be worried about because then he comes out and he's not doing the crazy fun stuff anymore and he's just a whole lot less active. The fates were off the charts. I'll give him that. On in the in the faint column, he was really racking a whole bunch of tallies yeah. up there. Yeah. And yet, when it came time to actually doing the stuff, he wasn't throwing a whole lot of offense out there. And Tiago Santos, especially, I think, dealing with that range, he just wasn't able to be the guy who leads this fight. I mean, when you force him to be the guy who goes first on a lot of these exchanges, he can do it a little bit, and he can do it, especially with stuff like body kicks and, and things like that, which he was able to to have some like some rare moments where you got the what little crowd there was excited just by the sound of a blow, like the impact of of you know bone on flesh. Yeah. But other times he's not able to really force those engagements. And so it's up to Johnny Walker to do it, and he's not really that interested in doing it. And so instead, he's giving these rounds away because Tiago Santos is at least doing something. And 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 he is even if there's if the something is just one kick that made a loud noise, if there's nothing else in the round, that's what the judges are gonna go for. And that's I think what ended up happening to him here all while he and his team didn't really seem to realize that that was even a possibility. Yeah, Johnny Walker is obviously a huge light heavyweight and a guy who looks the part. He has incredible athleticism. He came in to the UFC as this wild and like sometimes reckless guy, and it worked out for him for early fights in his career. And then as he began to climb the ladder a little bit, he ran into some trouble. He had uh, back-to-back losses. And as you noted, during the lead up to this fight, he talked a lot about how he has matured and maybe uh, he wasn't that guy anymore. He made some changes in his training. As you noted, you heard John Kavanaugh from SBG Ireland in his corner between rounds, uh, basically telling him to go out there and outpoint Tiago Santos in these rounds. And honestly, man, like I kind of get it if you are Johnny Walker, like a guy as big and as talented as him, if he can learn to go out there and have a very tight technical fight, I think he could be an extremely dangerous guy. But I also think that like that is a tricky process sometimes, especially for a guy like Johnny Walker. And, and like the question you need to ask yourself, I guess, is like in so doing in that process, are you depriving yourself of some of your best qualities? Like if you want yeah. to take a safe and sober approach to fighting, not the least of which, you know, not not even whether or not are the fans happy, is the UFC happy, but just like, is this the best version of Johnny Walker or is he more, would he be even be more successful if he was just like, you know what, I'm going to let it all hang out. Sometimes I will win, sometimes I will lose, but at least I know I will be here for a long time. Yeah, well, and I think especially when you take somebody like him and you make him overly conservative or you turn him into some kind of point fighter who is just trying to win by the slimmest of margins, I mean, against some people, sure, that's going to work just because of his size and range. But the the sacrifice is that I think we've seen him win some fights that maybe he shouldn't have won just because of like his, his high freak-out ability. Yeah. And that sometimes that will be to his advantage also because of just physically what he brings to the table. And I could, I guess I can understand to a point if you go like, hey, you can't keep doing that forever. You're going to get knocked out a few times and that's not going to be good for your career longevity either. So I can understand why a reasonable thought process would lead you to think we, we've got to change. We've got to become a smarter fighter. 
But I also think that when you start to give away that that fear that other opponents might have of your ability to at any time just rush in and do something crazy, like then they're going to start to feel a little bit more comfortable and going after you. And I, I don't. I just think that the sacrifices that you're making there are not worth the trade-offs. And it's especially because when the UFC made a fight like this, Johnny Walker versus Thiago Santos, you know what they were thinking? They were not thinking like let's really get down to brass tacks and sort out something about the light heavyweight pecking order. Like that was not the big concern here because we, I mean, we kind of know where people stand right now. We we're not really dying to figure out the, the the ranking at that level. We're not trying to, to sort through it and be like, we got to absolutely figure out who, if this Tiago Santos above Johnny Walker or vice versa. We're trying to have fun. Yeah. That's what they were trying to do with this one. We booked this fight trying to send a signal that, hey, be in your seats for this one because these two guys are a couple of wild men who are going to go at it. And just the fighting styles they've got, guaranteed, we don't see the judges on this one. And then when you show up with the exact opposite kind of plan of what everybody is expecting and you make sure that we do see the judges, they're going to blame you and they're going to be annoyed about it. And everybody's just going to go, what the hell, man? And like, just in terms of what you give up and what you gain in that calculation, it doesn't seem worth it. It had been a long time since Johnny Walker fought. He's coming in off a, a fairly lengthy layoff here. I think we should throw that out there just as a potential contributing factor to all of this. It had been a little bit more than a year since he fought. He had a torn pectoral muscle, which frankly sounds horrible. Yeah. Uh, so he gets back in the cage after a long period of time, and he had a dangerous opponent in, in Tiago Santos. What did what do you make at all of uh, Dean Thomas in the middle of this fight, who, by the way, is has been great. Like since he is kind of, yeah. um, I don't know if he has fully taken over the Trevor Whitman role on the UFC broadcast, but the last couple cards, he's been the the coach, the technical analyst who kind of punches in and out of the broadcast to talk about what he sees going on in the fight. And one of the things he noticed or noted here about the Tiago Santos Johnny Walker matchup was that maybe Johnny Walker wasn't confident enough in his defense to really. Uh, engage Tiago Santos a ton in the striking game because frankly Tiago Santos is going to hit you and if he does you might go to sleep uh, was that was that part of the the calculation here maybe on on Johnny Walker's part and if we get him out there against a less dangerous striker we could see a return to the weirdsmobile Johnny Walker that we all know and love yeah maybe I, I, I can see how that might be a part of it and I also think though that they they looked at this matchup and they thought okay what we don't want to do is plant our feet in close and throw hammers with this guy because that's the chance he has. Like that's giving him too good of an opportunity to win this fight. We have the that size and range on our side. Let's just keep him at that safe distance for us and let's chip away at him. And I also think that maybe they wanted to use the feints, like let's get him reacting to those and then freeze him in place that way. And then that way it'll be a little easier to just sort of poke at him from, from a safe distance. Like you're just standing there on the end of a broomstick, just jabbing at the guy and, you know, in this way you'll win. And yet it just wasn't really working. Thiago Santos was adjusting to that fairly well and making sure, okay, if you're going to keep me too far out for me to do much, then I'm going to be all the way out to where you can't really do much to me. And then also find, like adjusting as the fight went on and being like, okay, I can still reach you with my kicks and kick into the legs and the body and at least doing something there. And in a round where not a whole lot is happening, the guy who does something can often enough win. And, you know, it, it's not the most exciting style for anybody, but 
you got to just be doing more if that's going to be the way you think you're going to beat a guy like Tiago Santos. Yeah, and then by the same token, Tiago Santos wins this one, but I don't know that he necessarily picked up too much steam in the uh, in the light heavyweight division. So we're still waiting for Johnny Blackjacks to go out there and fight uh, Glover Tashira, and then we will start to se- settle, figure out number one contender status after that. But uh, all right, let's go ahead and do Are You Fucking Kidding Me before we move on to round number two. Ben Aspen Lad was supposed to fight over the weekend at this fight night event, came in a little heavy, 137, and then her opponent uh, declined to accept the matchup after she had missed weight. So this this fight was scratched, also took one-third of my all-female fighter parlay off the table as part of our $20 We Never Want to See Again betting challenge that we do over at the Patreon. Uh, Misha Tate jumped online after Aspen Ladd posted what what honestly was kind of a uh, an apologetic response, I guess you could say. Took it to notes yeah. in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Misha Tate jumps on and says, it's one thing to miss weight. It's another thing to try and cheat the scale and use every excuse in the book to not weigh in properly. Everyone saw you cheat and you still came in a pound over. I bet you were every bit of 139. Uh and then somebody comes back and says, uh, basically, what, you, what do you mean? And Misha, T- Misha Tate says, she wanted to cheat the real scale, and she knew if she checked in beforehand, meaning on the digital scale backstage, that she couldn't explain why the pounds suddenly disappeared, and then she got behind the curtain that she could grab onto. First of all, are you fucking kidding me? Misha Tate, we all see what you're doing here. We Savvy all bet move. Savvy we all move, see what you're doing. Nobody believes that you care this much about Aspen Ladd missing weight and then getting her fight canceled. We see what you're doing. We all see what you're doing. But then Aspen Ladd's coach and I believe boyfriend, is that correct? Jim West? I believe that's, that's the situation last I heard. Yeah. He jumps on the Twitter machine and he says, Misha Tate, you are a coward. Remember when you lied saying we wanted you to fight late notice at 145, but you went on record saying we wanted it at 135, and we know for a fact you said you didn't want that tough of an opponent? Trust me, have good inside information. You fucking kidding me, dude? Like, seriously? You can say a lot of shit about Misha Tate. I don't think coward is the right word. You might want to look into a different adjective for that one. Opportunist? Maybe, but coward, okay. eh, you fucking kidding me? Really, dude? Okay. Anyway, Aspen Ladd jumps on. She's far more respectful of Misha Tate. We know where this is going. You might as well book it. They're going to put him in the cage. It's 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 feuding 101 happening over here. You fucking kidding me? No one believes this shit. Like, no one, just, we're, this is theater. We're doing theater on the Twitter to try to get a fight, and everybody knows it. Are you fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me? Also, so wait, you're telling me after Aspen Ladd got up on the scale where, again, she is shaken kind of uncontrollably, can barely stand up, and is still not making the weight, and looks like she's about to collapse and is in great distress on the scale. You're telling me that what stopped the fight from going forward was her opponent saying, nah, I won't take it, and not the commission or the UFC or somebody being like, you know what, this is a bad idea. This person is in no condition to fight tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. And it seemed like at least... The people that I saw talking about it on social media that maybe uh, Macy, I don't know how you say this last name, Chiasen? Chasen. Chasen. Uh, nailed it. Uh, that 
maybe she said that she didn't want to take the fight because she was concerned about Aspen Lat that she didn't want to fight her after this weigh-in performance thing. And, and like, if that's the case, hats off, man. Like, that's the only person out here, like, checking in with Aspen Lad's actual health and safety might be the person who was supposed to fight her. I mean, shit, anybody who saw that video should be concerned. And it's not the first time that we've been through that with Aspen Lad. They gotta do something about that. All right, Maya, are you fucking kidding me this week, Chad? Once again, trying to steal a car, it seems like the first thing you must ask yourself is, wait, are there any professional MMA fighters about? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because surprisingly often, it seems the answer is yes, and they just seems like they can't help but get involved. Yeah, if you're planning on stealing a car, you might want to walk up and down the block a couple times looking for dudes with cauliflower ear first yeah. and maybe being like, hey, man, anybody out here uh, sponsored by Knox Explode? Yeah. Anybody Look out here? Uh, for some empty P3 protein pack wrappers yeah. laying on the ground. Anybody wearing like a, a Venom uh, tracksuit out here on the street that I can see? Maybe that has their own name on the back of it? Yeah. Because they will get involved with that shit. The latest one here, Kevin Holland. Fresh, we just we just talked about the controversy in Kevin Holland's fight with Kyle Dacus. Then he's he's coming home here. This is him. He was on the Fortnite today, like hours after this thing supposedly happened, and he he's talking about it. He says, basically, it sounds like he's driving down the street. He says, some guy comes zooming out of the parking lot. Some guy's running behind him. He's like, yo, he stole my car. So I was like, I've been in quarantine for a week. I didn't get to finish my fight. So let's go have a little fun. So there's your first, are you fucking kidding me right there? Wow. I bust a U-turn, start going after the guy. He turns close to the same street that my coach is on. So I'm driving down the street. I'm on the phone with my mom. My mom's like, it's probably a repo. I'm like, mom, if you see this car, you can tell it's not a repo. I'm like, I'm going to hang up and call the cops. Um, But then instead of calling the cops, I call my coach. I'm like, hey, this guy's driving through your neighborhood. He just stole a car. We should cut him off and we can catch him. And he's like, all right, bet. So there's another, are you fucking kidding? First of all, that's the thing where you, like, you have a certain kind of friends, certain kind of associates where you call them up and be like, hey, I'm chasing after a car thief. We're on your street. Uh, let's not get any sort of authorities involved. Just get in your car. Come on out here and join the fun. And you're like, yeah, absolutely. Of course, that's what we would do yes, here. Yeah. Like, that just that just makes sense. I hop back in my car, get to chasing them. We get to following them. The suspect hits the streets. Boom. Hits a little trailer that's getting pulled with some lawn equipment and stuff on the back. So that totals the car. Once he totals the car, the guy gets out. The guy pulls up in front of the truck to kind of block him off. I pull up behind so the guy runs out. He starts going behind instead of going forward. He was going forward at first, and then he turns around. I pull up. I got my coffee mug. So I'm like, this time I'm going to be prepared. I got my coffee cup. I'm chasing down after him. He reaches down to kind of go like this i don't know if he's saying stop or what i go like this with the coffee mug and i hit him with a little sweep get on top neon belly hit him with a little khabib scarf hold he was like i can't breathe so that's when i picked him up put him on the curb i didn't want to be like the cop with the can't breathe guy so i was like fuck it let's just put him over here are you fucking kidding me You thought this was going to be a good day to steal a car. You're like, there are not any cops or, or any MMA fighters around. Little did you know, Kevin Holland just got home. Yeah. Wow. Are you fucking kidding me? He has a he has unfinished business. He has arrived, and he's got his coffee mug. Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me, bro? That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. 
So Chad, I go back this morning. I'm watching Bellator London. I'm watching the main event, Michael Page versus Douglas Lima. We get to the end of round three, and I feel like UL Romero. Because I'm looking around going, wait, we don't got two more of these fuckers? We're going to stop here? The fight's so damn close. Feels like nothing has been decided. Feels like we're just getting started, in fact, with this damn fight. Instead, we go three rounds, then we go to the decisions. The fight is just close as all hell, man. And just a difficult one to score because of the peculiarities of each guy's fighting style and what each guy is trying to do here. However, it is in London. And your guy, MVP, wins a split decision over Douglas Lima, then shouts out London. He very well may shout out London because it might have helped him a little bit, having the crowd on his side here. And yet, I come away from this fight, which we had said before, all right, we're going to see him in a rematch with Douglas Lima, a fight where he was doing okay the first time and then got knocked out and just kind of highlight realized. Maybe we're going to find out something about, is MVP really at that point? Top level, or is he just the guy who looks awesome when he's crushing cans? I feel like, honestly, I still don't have a great fix on it. Yeah, it's still in moments against Douglas Lima, he can do awesome stuff. You know, when he when he charges forward and does one of his sort of just like sudden spasms of violence, he can do really cool stuff, dangerous stuff. It looked like a couple times Douglas Lima just avoided what might have been a knockout blow by inches, and yet also definitely has some vulnerabilities still in his game. And I'm not entirely sure he deserved this decision. I think maybe two more rounds might've helped, but then again, it might've still just been close as hell after that too. I think if I'm Douglas Lima, I walk around pissed off for the rest of my life that this decision didn't go from my way because it was, it was that kind of a fight. What did you feel like you learned from this one? I felt like at least we learned now that we've seen Michael Page fight Douglas Lima twice, like if you were wondering if Michael Page is still going to do all the crazy shit that he does in the cage when he fights a lesser fighter, it, was he going to be able to pull that stuff off when he's in there with one of the top level uh, welterweights in the world? Yes, he's still going to do all the crazy shit. Uh, whether or not he can be effective doing that, I think it still kind of remains to be seen. Although he has afforded himself fairly well through two fights against Douglas Lima, which kind of makes you feel like, okay, well now Michael Page is in his early 30s and he's got 20 MMA fights. Maybe it's time for him to either fight for the Bellator welterweight title or like, you know, start start taking on a little bit, a cut of, a cut above of, of additional competition. Uh but uh, yeah, it's it's hard to say. I can't. I could. I feel like you. I don't know that I could sit here and tell you how good Michael Page is at this point. And honestly, the thing that I feel like hurts it the most hurts my ability to tell whether or not I should take him seriously is that he appears to get taken down at will. Essentially, whenever Douglas Lima wanted to take him down, he took him down. Uh, and then he he didn't do anything. Like Michael Page didn't do anything to try to get back up. And I feel like only because of the knockdowns that he scored on Douglas Lima on the feet did does he win this decision. And those were kind of weird knockdowns. Like it was almost like Douglas Lima was just like, all right, I'm going to fall down to avoid further blows, but then I will get right back up again. So well, I kind of some of them I feel like he was genuinely tagged. But yeah, there was a couple of hard shots. For sure. Others of them you're right, where it felt like he's just has to suddenly move his head in a way to avoid the blow, 
but he's not able to move his feet quite as fast, and so he ends up basically just tripping and falling down in order to avoid the shot. And so, yeah, I don't know if you want to give him the same kind of credit for those knockdowns, but also it's like he gets taken down, and he seems like what he's trying to do once he is on the mat is not loose. Right. Like, well, he seems like he's trying to uh, prompt a restart from the ref, and that's a bad strategy because uh, if Douglas Lima can do anything on top, and he was at least in the first round landing some some significant shots from the top, like the ref's not going to stand you up, dude. Like if you are going to be an elite level MMA fighter in the year of our Lord 2021, you got to at least be able to stand up on your own. And uh, in a perfect world, maybe you would have some attacks off your back. Like you look at uh, Michael Page's physical frame and he looks like a dude who would be good at jujitsu if he took the time to try to figure out how to do it. But like in this fight, at least he appeared content to just sort of tie up the arms and hands of Douglas Lima and hope for a restart, which like that's you're just you're going to lose if that's your strategy. And yet he won. Like he, he comes away with a split decision win. He's 19 and one as a professional, not too shabby. I yeah. mean, it's a lot of those wins you can point out and be like, okay, they, that was not, you know, Bellator trying to get into the Derek Anderson business. That they, they clearly they want MVP to continue being a thing, continue being successful, all that stuff. And yet, you can't look at this MMA career at this point and say that it's not a success to an extent. But if you're going to get to that next level, a, like we said before, when we were talking about it on the power. It seems like it's got to happen soon. What do you think is the key? Like, it seems like we've gone as far as we can go with favorable matchmaking to some extent. Uh, you you win this one, and, which is like Douglas Lima's third loss in a row, I believe, but by the slimmest of margins. I mean, do you send MVP to Hendrick Stan? Do you send, <laughs> do you send him somewhere and just be like, uh, you know, six months of sprawl training? Like, it's the UG in 2008? Do you send him somewhere where you're like, all right, look, we're going to get taken down sometime and like, let's work on some offensive jujitsu or at least let's work on improving the getup game. Like, what do you think that you do? different than what you're already doing here. First of all, how crazy was it that Douglas Lima almost knocked MVP out this again, the same way he did in the first fight with the yeah. same like low kick uppercut combo that knocked him out in the first fight. He was like two inches away from landing it. That would have been just fucking crazy if he had won this fight the exact same way. Uh, but it like it's if you're, it's basically Michael Page's deal. He's got to, he's got to fucking figure out some ground stuff or he's not going to be successful against these top level guys. If you're Bellator, I think you got to let him fight for the title. Cause if not, what are you doing? Like, what did we spend all this time doing this stuff? Why did he just have two fights with the former champion and the number one ranked contender who, and he just beat him in this last one. Like you've, you've, invested all this time and energy into making Michael Venom page seem like a thing. Time to, time to cash the ticket, Scott, time to, time to do the thing. If we're going to do the thing. Yeah. I mean, you talk about all this time that we've been doing it. Like, remember when he literally broke the male cyborg, uh, Evangelista Santos's skull. Yeah. It's a gross. It's like probably the grossest MMA, injury maybe of all time we don't talk about it that much because it wasn't like a gruesome leg break but like if you when you saw the like not the x-ray but it was like some digital imaging or whatever it was of cyborgs ahead it was like that dude got his whole shit broke yeah. man a, a knee-shaped just cracked dent like somebody dropped an easter egg and right there in the middle of his forehead that shit 
was in 2016, man. That shit was like five years ago. And that's when we were really putting an MVP on the mat. First of all, just like, oh, hey, look at this guy and this crazy shit he can do. He goes out there against a known guy like Evangelista Santos, breaks his skull. It's five fucking years ago. Yeah. It does seem, he's 34 now. It does seem like if we're doing this, let's do it. Let's find out. Like, I think that... It's time, and whether he sinks or swims is kind of on him. But, like, you can really only build a prospect for seven fucking years before it's time (laughs) to try to do something with him. Yeah. But you know what? Like, when I watch him against somebody like Douglas Lehman, I'm like, you're not at all getting outclassed. Your stuff still does work against guys at this level, like, to an extent. Like, it doesn't, maybe it doesn't work quite as effectively, and, and maybe there's still some stuff that needs to be honed there. But you can still do some of it. So I am interested. Like, put him in there against somebody. Like, put him in there against the next guy up and let's find out, man. I I, I feel like I, I would be interested in seeing it at this point. And yet, it does feel like you can only string along our attention spans on this for so long. No, I agree. It's time. It's time to do it. It's time to do the thing if we're doing the thing. All right. Coming up after the break, round number three, the introduction of a new co-main event podcast feature. How hyped? What is it? I don't even know. We're going to all find out together in the third round. That starts now. All right, Ben. It's the first ever maiden voyage inaugural happening of how hyped this is this is your baby this is your brainchild tell me and the children at home listening actually i hope they're not actual children because we have an uh you know a uh an adult rating over there on the on the social medias this shit is explicit so i hope there's not actual children listening but tell us tell us what is happening what are we going to do shit is explicit as fuck keep your children away Come shot. You know what I'm saying? No, come on. Don't do that. Don- donkey dick. Can, can we? Okay. Uh, all right. Here's how it's going to work, Chad. You know how sometimes there's stuff that's coming up on the calendar in mm-hmm. the combat sports world, but maybe it's like the next UFC event that's coming up the coming Saturday is not enough on its own that we feel like we need to devote an entire round to talking about it. But maybe we still want to mention it and we want to just talk about if we're interested and to what extent. And maybe sometimes there's a few of those over the coming weeks and or months. This is the exact conundrum for which How Hyped was created. Here's how it's going to work, Chad. I'm going to tell you about a fight that's coming up. I'm going to tell you when. And I'm going to give you, for each different fight or event or whatever we're talking about, I'm going to give you a ratings system okay. that you are then expected to use. Are they different me. rating systems for every fight? Or is it the same one? I think it's going to be fun for you to discover. Uh, okay, I'm just trying to way. get prepared. but like, Okay. No, I'm ready. Up first... This Saturday, in the world of professional boxing, we have the trilogy fight, Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder 3, going down Saturday. You can buy the pay-per-view through ESPN+. Going to run you about $79.99. Now, I want you to tell me, how hyped are you for this? How many out of five espressos 
worth of hype are you? Five espressos would be all the way hyped. One espresso, not that hyped. Uh, I am three. And imagine them. They come. They come in the little. They come in the little. The little ones where you have to hold them very dainty with your finger. Yeah. No, I I, I hear what you're saying. Okay. Uh, it's hard for me to get hyped a lot of the time about boxing. We're not big boxing guys on this show. We don't talk about it too much. We leave that to the people who who know more about the big goofy gloved ring people who do the stuff. Uh, I will say I'm three espressos hyped for this fight. Now I know that uh, Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder have fought twice before. I know that the first one was a draw. I know that Fury won the second one. And I know that given the collected amount of rounds that they have fought together, most people feel like Tyson Fury won the majority of those rounds. And most people feel like Tyson Fury will win this fight also. Part of it depends on how heavy the costume that Deontay yeah. Wilder wears to the ring is. Mm-hmm. But I will say this. I'm three espressos hyped to see the fight. I'm four espressos hyped to see the entrances. Yeah. Okay, now that's a that's a very reasonable take on this because last time, you know, Deontay Wilder came out in that heavy ass costume, really messed with his legs. Uh, Tyson Fury, on the other hand, was carried to the ring as a king <laughs> on a moving walk on platform his, under his own power. No, the other guy wore a twenty five pound suit. <laughs> the throne was on a platform that moved down to the ring. Is the exact opposite of walking down to the, the ring in a heavy ass suit. Yep. You got to think everybody maybe learned some lessons from that. Uh, however, eighty bucks on the old pay per view. I don't know. This seems like I'm going to say I'm three and a half espressos excited for this one, and maybe would want to uh, uh, maybe find out what some of those other means people talk about that they sometimes will watch a fight via. Yeah. Okay. Next up, this Saturday. For the UFC's offering, a UFC Fight Night event, I assume it has three different names, UFC Fight Night 100-something, UFC Vegas 30-something, whatever, UFC Vegas, uh, UFC Fight Night Dern versus Rodriguez, Mackenzie Dern versus Marina Rodriguez is in your main event. You know, there's there are other fights on this card, however, you know, Randy Brown, Jared Gooden, Tim Elliott, uh, Mateus Nicolou, uh... You know, the the main event kind of tells you that if that's the main event, they don't have a whole lot else jumping off at the page. But Mackenzie Dern versus Marina Rodriguez. How many out of seven Red Bulls, seven Red Bulls being very hyped, the most hyped you could possibly be, one Red Bull being not at all hyped, how many Red Bulls worth of hyped are you for this? I'm one one Red Bull hyped for Whoa. it. I mean, I'm not One even by old Red Bull, even by the, the sugar-free kind, even Shit. by the even by the standards of the hashtag just some fights era and what we get week in and week out from these UFC fight night events. This one is pretty low on bankable stars like Mackenzie Dern versus Marina Rodriguez is your main event, as you mentioned, uh, Jared Gordon, Tim Elliott, et cetera, et cetera. There are some people that we know here, but like this is there's not a lot of. Uh, of roller coaster highs on this thing. This is this is just some fights. If you want to watch them, you can. If you want to take a punk curmudgeon style break from the sport, this might be a good weekend. I will tell you what uh, the Chad Dundas main event is here, though. Phil Hawes versus Duran Wynn. A couple okay. of prospects that we've been talking about for a while. I think it sounds fun to wind these two guys up and let them go out there against each other. We'll find out uh, whose prospect reigns supreme. Okay, I'm also at about a one, but it's it's the twelve ounce. 
This is the 12 ounce. Okay, it's not yeah. the, the 8 ounce. Okay. Now, looking ahead to the next Bellator event. Bellator is not on this weekend, but they come back uh, October 16th. Vadim Nemkov versus Julius Anglicus. Nailed it. Uh, Ryan Bader versus Corey Anderson in that uh, light heavyweight tournament we're doing. And Benson Henderson versus Brent Primus. How many out of 10 gas station trucker pills are you for this event? 10 gas station trucker pills being the most hyped. One gas station trucker pill being you know barely enough hype to get you from here to Billings. Okay. Now we're dealing with different scales here. Now we got 10. Uh, we got yep. 10 units. That we're, mm-hmm. that, we're, that we're doing here. Uh, I would say four gas station trucker pills. There's, you know, Bellator is kind of taking the opposite of the UFC approach during the last quarter of this year. They're only doing a, uh, like three or four events before uh, 2022 dawns, but they're kind of trying to, to make them good. Uh, this one is... is a little bit lackluster, but I'm I'm excited to see uh, Benson Henderson and Brent Primus. Like Primus is a dude who seems like kind of the sky's the limit in terms of his abilities, and he's sort of never been able to put it together over the long long period of time. Um, I'm excited to see Beeston go out there do his stuff. Like there's some there's some good fights on here, but it's still not it's not the 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 top of the heap for Bellator. I'm going to say three gas station trucker pills on this one. I appreciate that it's, it's a Bellator that has a few different fights that I'll give you a little bit of something, but it also feels a little bit like like one of those when you're watching an HBO prestige drama and you have sort of like a place setting episode. Mm-hmm. We're going to get to the good stuff next. First, we got to get this stuff to set this one, the next one up. That's what this feels like. Yeah. It feels like that's what we're doing here. That's fair. All right. Uh, now we're going to look all the way to the end of the month, October 27th, you get your PFL final scheduled, Kayla Harrison versus Taylor Guardado for that million-dollar novelty check. How many Bang Energy drinks, six being the most hyped, one Bang Energy drink being not at all hyped, are you for this fight? Okay, I like that the... uh that the units of measure here are all stimulants. Yeah. So yep. the stuff that is like literally and specifically designed to get you hyped. There you go. You catching on. Wait, how, how many, how many am I dealing with here out of five? Is that what it is? Again? Six out of six. Okay. I'm going to say three bang energy drinks. I'm most excited. I mean, we all know what happens here, right? Yeah. Kayla Harrison wins. Kayla Harrison gets another giant check. Kayla Harrison uh, cashes cashes that in the bank and continues to be seemingly a super good person. Uh, I think we're all kind of excited to see what Kayla Harrison does next, though, right? Like, we're trying to get her through this PFL tournament. I know PFL just signed Julia Budd, uh, maybe in a in a, a little bit of an effort to get Kayla Harrison to stick around, try to get some people for her to fight. But, like, uh, depending on what her contractual situation is, Kayla Harrison is going to have some opportunities elsewhere. And it's it's kind of interesting to, or will be kind of interesting, I guess, to see what she does. So I'm going to say I'm midway hyped for this actual event, but I'm more hyped to see if Kayla Harrison is going to do something that isn't just her making millions of dollars to take easy fights. Which, by the way, as we've said on the show before, if that's what she chooses to do, we get it. We understand. Yeah. For that reason, I would say I'm only about two Bang Energy drinks, just because I feel like there's a good chance that they already have Kayla Harrison's name written on that novelty check in <laughs> it could, pen. It could be just the same one from last time. Just scratch <laughs> scratch the date off, put a new date on there. Uh, think about Bang Energy drinks, though, Ben. Once you have two, you're going to have another one. 
We all know you're going to have another one. <laughs> well, I mean, if I want to wake up with heart palpitations, sure, sure I will. Um, all right, the final one. We're looking uh, way ahead here to UFC 269 on December 11th, but we just seems like we've just signed some stuff here to add to it. Most notably, I mean, this is one where we're supposed to see the trilogy fight between Assassin Baby and Davy Figs, but it seems like now it is official. It seems like what we're hearing is that agreements have been signed for Dustin Poirier versus Chucky Olives for the UFC lightweight title on December 11th. How many eight balls of cocaine hyped are you for this out of 10? 10 eight balls, meaning so hyped that you might die. One eight ball, meaning just hyped enough that you're going to dance at a party that you don't usually dance at. Yeah. Well, I was going to say 10, but I don't want to die. Uh, I'm, I'll say nine, I guess. So it's like, I guess I'm going to rehab after this. But uh, we all know that I am extremely hyped to see Dustin Poirier finally get his shot to become the undisputed UFC lightweight champion. I think it's a great matchup of styles against Chucky Olives. Those guys are going to have a, a fun-ass fight. And then Davey Figs against Brandon Moreno for the seventh or eighth time. I lose track of how many times we've done this. Uh it's like you got leftovers in the fridge and you're going to eat them again, but they were delicious. So like, I mean, it's the same meal you had just last night, but like, you don't mind because it's, you got cold pizza in the fridge or whatever it is. So yeah, I'm pretty hyped, pretty hyped. I'm going to go 10. And you know what? If I die, I die. We've been you know, saying I, that about you for a while. I just, I want people to know that I went out on top, died as I lived, being all the way hyped. Because this this is this is my shit right here. Dustin yeah. Poirier versus Chucky Olives feels like we are officially whoop. We're flipping the new page into the, the the new era of the UFC lightweight division. After this point, assuming we get a definitive ending, we will be able to say like, all right, now we we know for sure who the UFC lightweight champ is, and we can move forward as such. Woo! I love it. Yeah, I love it. All right, that that does it. That wraps up. Hi, how hyped? I, I'm going to call it an unparalleled success. Yeah, a runaway success. Yeah. All right. Let's do just saying stuff and then we'll get out of here for this week. Ben, uh, what is your just saying stuff this week? Well, Jed, it seems that speaking of the UFC lightweight division and the page that it has to turn, former champ Habib Nurmagomedov was hmm. taking in some of the football over oh, there. Okay. Was he at uh, Raiders Browns? Uh, no, not that. Not that one. The other oh, one. The other soccer. The kind? You're talking soccer. The kind that they play in England. Uh, according to this article hey, that I am man. reading... Uh, you don't, I watch Ted Lasso. You don't have to tell me about this stuff. I know all seems, about it. It seems that I do have to tell you about it. Uh, I'm reading an article here from The Mirror. He was over there uh, in Liverpool at Anfield. He was at Anfield, Chad, watching Liverpool play Man City. And uh, the crowd apparently gets kind of rowdy over there. And he was talking about, you know, that... He dealt with some rowdy fans. We saw a video of him dealing with some people jumping up, trying to get up in Khabib's face, all that stuff. Uh, and then he has some quotes here where he's talking about what it's like to be a dude like Habib out in public in an event like this. When I go to McDonald's, I feel pressure. Who's filming me? He said, if I go with friends, I say, you have to t have my back. Today, when we came out to Anfield, I was stuck with thousands of drunk Liverpool fans. I could not walk. It was people traffic. I felt pressure. And a lot of people were like, ooh, Habib, but they don't understand who I am. Of course, I feel a lot of pressure. I was ready to fight. 
He goes on, I go to the stadium to watch and enjoy this beautiful game. Today was very dangerous when I was with Liverpool Liverpool fans, but it was fun, and I was ready to fight. It was an amazing atmosphere today, but the game was even better. I was rooting for Man City. I just love this sport. Um, I'm just saying, Chad, what do you think the odds are that after many meals at many different establishments trying to convince this guy to come back and fight then finally giving it up and saying he's not going to do it Dana White maybe reads on the internet he's got his his Google alert set for Habib Nurmagomedov he sees this story oh so he likes some soccer huh and then he goes around he's around the drunk fans he's then he's ready to fight okay I'm just saying maybe the light bulb goes off over Dana White's bald ass head and what he thinks is Habib versus drunk Liverpool fans, UFC 270, book it. Yeah, how many, though? How many Just drunk saying. Liverpool fans? I mean, we're gonna, there's going to have to be a lot of them. Because I think that the scouting report on drunk Liverpool, Liverpool fans is that they start fast, but the cardio could be an issue. So we're, we're going to need to send them in waves. Yeah. You know, okay. in order to make this interesting. I'm just saying. Just saying. Okay. Uh, ben, as you know, uh, the entire Dawkus caucus has been act- in an action over the last couple weeks yeah. in the UFC. We saw at uh, UFC 266, uh, Chris Dawkus went out there and defeated Shamil Abdurakimov by a TKO, actually knocked him out twice, won a, uh, a performance of the night bonus because of it. And then the following week, his brother, as we talked about earlier in this show, Kyle Dawkus goes out there and fights Kevin Holland, ends up in a no contest. So a couple of wild and woolly fights here featuring the Dawkus caucus, both Dawkus brothers. I guess, though, this week, I'm just saying, how would you feel if you were Kyle Dawkus and your brother Chris literally has a tattoo across his chest that says my brother's keeper. Mm-hmm. I, we know that it's a, it's a, it's a Bible quote. We see it a lot. It's well known, but if you are that guy's brother, are you, do you have to at some point be like, oh, Chris, what, what's up with the tat dude? Like, uh, is there, are you worried about me? Is there something <laughs> we need to discuss? Are you, you're not Wait, the you, boss of me. I want to say that you're not the boss of me. You would literally, you aren't my keeper. Do you think he's like, do you, wait, do you see yourself as the responsible one? You think yeah. I'm the black sheep? I've always assumed you were the black sheep. Yeah. I was my, my, my brother's keeper tattoo is just in a place where people can't see it because you know what? I have tact. Do you think that you consult your brother before you get a tattoo like that? Yeah. Hey man, I'm thinking about getting a, my off? brother's keeper tattoo. How do you yeah. feel about that? It's not about you though. It's just about yeah. life in general. What? It's just a it's, a, it's more of a statement about how I view humanity and us all looking out for each other. But people are going to wonder. Yeah. Because I, especially because my job, like yours, involves taking my shirt off on TV. Yeah. <laughs> Awkward. I'm just saying. Just, just saying. saying. All right. That's going to do it for this week's Co-Main Event Podcast. Check us out over on Patreon, patreon.com slash co-main event. We got the live chat on Wednesday. Something's happening movie club wise on Thursday. And then on Friday, of course, the power hour. Uh, then an entire additional week of the proper and all we do it all over again on and on into infinity as for right now though we are done we are through we are out i guess also i'm just saying you're lucky that i haven't figured out how to get across my fingers tattooed i'm worried about chad douglas (laughs) 
I just don't have enough fingers. I can't figure out the math on how it's going to work. Otherwise, I'd have done it years ago. Yeah, I actually do have a tattoo across my back that says the boss of Ben Folks. That's all. <laughs> you know what, though? It's. I, I feel like you're you're a benevolent boss. Yeah, I, I could live with that. You know what? I'm gonna I'm going to imply that maybe you should only do nine of the eight balls of cocaine come UFC 269. But if you are dead set on doing all ten, okay, man. We all have to make our own choices. I mean, once you do that.